Hey, welcome back. Mitch Ashley, CTO with Textron Group and also principal with Textron Research. We are at RSA and uh, kind of taking over a little bit for a little while for Charlene. She'll be back with an episode of Textron Women coming up right after this. In the meantime, we have a special edition of CISO Talk. Now, if you've tuned in before, you know we have a lively panel of experts that operate at the C-level uh, in varying capacities. And we're going to be talking about an interesting topic that I don't think we've touched on before. Before we get to the topic, let, uh, let's have our folks introduce themselves. If you want to start out, JJ, Jennifer. Sure, absolutely. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Jennifer Manella, or JJ, uh, founder and principal advisor with Vision Security, where I work with organizations to um, align the security people processes and um, strategies with the technical operations teams that are implementing those strategies. Excellent. And a new guest, yes. Allison. Allison Hi. Miller. Hi, I'm Allison Miller. I'm CISO and VP of Trust at Reddit. And so there I'm responsible for protecting not just the Reddit platform and its corporate systems, but also protecting users and things like their privacy and their safety on the platform. Awesome. So, yeah, important it's a fun, topic. Important topic and a, and a fun role. So we'll, we'll have to explore that some more, kind of that expanding role. So I'm excited yeah. to hear about Anthony Johnson. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, Anthony back. Johnson, uh, uh, founder and managing partner at Delvrisk, market research firm. Like I said, we're covering CISO from a number of Fortune 500 companies. So, a um, pleasure to be back. I think the more responsibility, the more recovering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <For those roles. laughs> so, we're, our topic today is the Agile CISO. And we came up with this topic. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are evolving about the CISO roles. Sometimes it's taking on more of IT responsibility, kind of combining CIO, CISO, infrastructure. But I think more recently we started to recognize that it's it's not just the operational role of being a CISO anymore. Yes, we still have those things, but it's being more involved in the business, more involved in the strategy and the execution. Sometimes it's even kind of outsourcing to manage service providers, part of our security and infrastructure. Matter of fact, uh, Matt uh, Newcomb, who is our who's my co-host, is not here today. He's on special assignment. Uh, he was talking about how, you know, kind of moving to corporate networks that aren't corporate anymore. They're third party, even at office buildings. And, th you know, what's the difference of working in an office building versus in a Starbucks? People in and out and all that kind of thing. So our, our, our conversation is about this being agile because it isn't just your technical skills or being able to kind of talk business. So I'm curious, Jennifer, if you want to start us out, you talk and you call yourself an adjacent to the CISO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think uh, the CISO role, I don't want to be recovering CISO. So I've just, I've stayed like <laughs> just adjacent to that role. So I, I've I've had duties that overlap part of what a CISO does without taking the responsibility of, of a full CISO role. And I work with CISOs um, in organizations and sit between, you know, them and then non-technical stakeholders or them and the technical implementers. So uh, so CISO adjacent is a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's been interesting watching over time because working with the breadth of different types of customers of sizes and industries, um, from manufacturing to healthcare to, you know, people that are just creating software and products. Um, you know, some of my clients are very heavy on-prem um, and a legacy infrastructure. So think of large healthcare organizations that have, you know, not just thousands and tens of thousands of devices endpoints, but tens of thousands of access points and, and millions of ports to, to deal with across the network infrastructure. And then in addition to all of the layers of applications mm -hmm. and custom development that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to, you know, some other clients that are, um, they have 
ba basically zero on-prem infrastructure that they're responsible for. So everything is in the cloud. Um, they have office buildings, but the entire building is treated like a public network, basically like if you were at a Starbucks or um, or anywhere else. So, you know, the the, the shift in watching people move from one to the other or, or me trying to shift and deal with one and then the other has been kind of interesting and it's a definitely a learning curve and there are it's a completely new set of skill sets and I think everybody's kind of retooling for how to deal with um, outsourcing a lot of that and, and managing those additional people and processes and then contractors. Interesting. Does any of that resonate with you, Allison, as oh. a practicing CISO? Or are you totally? Is some, where on, where <laughs> on that kind of spectrum do you fall? I imagine it's not all print. Well, all Reddit is cloud native, so there's a lot of um, interest in and acceptance and curiosity about some of these managed services or things that are outsourced, including corporate applications. Um, my most immediate prior experience was at a bank. <coughs> so uh, also curiosity, but agility in a different way, right? Because these are those are companies that have a lot of a lot of existing investment tied up in in data centers and and, and that on prem technology. And so how can they start to adopt it in, in a way that feels safe to them? Um, of course, regulated industries have uh, other things to consider besides their own sort of agility and willingness to experiment. And so going from going from a Silicon Valley company to a bank and then to an, sort of a, a, a younger, uh, smaller startup technology company, I've seen a lot of different environments and CISOs try and tackle that challenge using a lot of different tools. Interesting. What, by the way, what was your journey to becoming a CISO? How long have you been in that role. <laughs> I've been or maybe at, I just shouldn't ask how long. Sure, kind of sure. Uh, I've been at Reddit for about 18 months, but this is actually my second CISO gig. And I've kind of jumped around between different types of roles. So I've spent time working as a fraud modeler. I've spent time doing policy analysis, uh, product management in sort of security or anti-abuse related technologies. And then at the bank, I was responsible for building the technology and tools that we use to secure secure the bank. And so that sort of builder mindset, I think, is what I've sort of brought with me into the CISO role is that. I like standing up programs that protect platforms and people, but I actually, I want to build, I want to build those protections in. And so that's sort of what brought me into this role at Reddit because it was just a really interesting combination of things I was going to be responsible for. And so that's the other trend, perhaps, in addition to the different types of technologies that CISOs are trying to navigate. The changing nature of what risk means to different companies and what a security executive can bring bring to those discussions. Hmm. Interesting. I know Anthony. Yeah, risk is a uh, top of mind. Something you talk a lot of people about. Help them with <clears throat> understand because it's it's not a static thing. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to, to to organizations though, what's really what's really fascinating is that I think the um, business is requiring this more of an agile, business minded CISO simply because um, the demands of of, of what they actually need to grow and survive in this market is, is shifting. Um, what, one of my big questions that I think about is whether most of the security leaders today can make that evolution um, or if they if they can even do it um, at all. It's something like 52% of the CISOs um, across the Fortune 1000 are actually non-technical and a good number of those have been with that organization for a long time. So they, they have, a, in my view, they have a better opportunity of understanding the business and what's actually necessary to kind of make the shift. Whereas you still have people, myself, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a geek, who love to talk about the geek stuff, right? Um, but at the end of the day, um, 
that's that's not going to cut it in, in five ten years anymore right because the business when, when you look at um you know uh user developers the citizen developer we have people coming out of college that have more development experience than um some of the folks in it like which is just kind of really interesting um and they're when you start to get into no code low code they're pulling out apps and coming up with ideas that security teams have to figure out um how do we secure this and the business has been running on it for a year now um, because it's been such a critical process um so it has to be more business centric um, they have to get out of the you know the, the notion of just more cyber specific tools um so i think that that level of agility that shifting um, is a big piece of the evolution in, in, in that risk conversation i like that it sounds like but it's shining a, a business-centered flashlight on the shadows of our technical debt is something that a lot of CISOs are getting involved in. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think what's, I mean, I, I, I use this model I talk a lot to is uh, we took the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and we actually made it a business hierarchy of needs. And security is not the bottom. It's not the foundation, right? It's revenue um, and just like food. Um, and, and there's aspects of where you need safety and shelter and you all want that. But that's after you get the core aspects of like revenue um, or, or, or food in, in the regular hierarchy. And when the company's trying to grow, security's awesome, but we have to hit our, our, our numbers. We have to hit our expectations. We have shareholders that freak out if not, you know, um, and uh, a lot of securities, I think, need to start security leaders need to be paying attention to what do the business commit to the street? Well, you know, what, what what's actually in our 10K besides our four security statements in there or whatever it is. Um, and uh, we'll see what the evolution looks like, uh, with how people keep up. Interesting. I, I wonder too about, you know, I, I think, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. I think we should eliminate the term IT because there is no boundary anymore. I mean, I, it's all happening everywhere in the organization. You know, you know, don't fight them, join them kind of thing. And just let's just be real about it. I, can, I also wonder if in a way we kind of need to do that with security is, it's not network security or corporate security or whatever, trying to protect the organization from itself from doing bad things. It's, we need to have the, dis, the dis, discuss the decided upon level of risk and measures and we, those things are gonna evolve and change over time because the business isn't static either. I like the idea of bringing more people into the discussion on technology for sure. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I'm not sure if I'm I'm ready to give up having folks be specialized and be able to go deep on some of those topics like securing a desktop is a little bit different than securing a container and I need folks who can do both and incident response is a little bit different than those design reviews that we're going to need to do as we better support the business. So I do like the idea of democratizing IT and security and bringing more folks to the table. But I also think that um, there's a certain there's there's something that that we can bring into the discussion based on our experience and understanding of risks. I don't think it's necessarily a, an approach that is natural. It can be learned to be natural. It can be aligned with some of the natural things that finance and marketing do to value, you know, cost benefit analysis of new ventures and such. Um, but I, I think that there's still sort of a mindset and a, a piece of the discussion that security folks can bring. Yeah, I don't think we're quite ready to ban yeah. it <laughs> yet. That's a, a little controversial. We'll shoot for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, uh, Jennifer, in your adjacent kind of CISO role, <laughs> I love that term. You shouldn't have told me because now I'm going to use it all the time. Um, 
you you have to observe, and I'm, I imagine a lot of times you're being asked to help work through some of those struggles of how to align with the organization, support the organization, but also manage risk that goes with it. What's what's sort of the most common things that you see people struggling with in CISO roles? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the the first thing, and it's to me, it's kind of an elephant in the room that a lot of organizations don't talk about, or just kind of as an industry, we don't necessarily talk about in whole, maybe in little pockets, and that's that there's not a really a set baseline for what we consider a CISO. And there's been, you know, jokes for the 10 years about the, the CISO with the little C and a CISO with the big C. And, you know, there's organizations that I work with that are very mature and, you know, large mature organizations have a large mature security practice and they have a CISO who can build something and, and develop something. They understand A to B, they're ready to shift and mold and change and, and go acquire whatever resources or assets they need to make that happen or, or their own knowledge. Um, to get there and they have some level of, of training to do that or mentorship or some somebody has helped them do that. And then you have organizations. And so when you look at a lot of the fortune rated companies, you have these mature systems and peoples and processes. When you look at the rest of the world, of which there are so, so many, you know, many millions of like mid-market customers, and I don't deal in SMB, but let's just forget about that and stay with mid-market and up. Not everybody has that. And, you know, so, you know, one day I'm working with a CISO who's who's one of these mature in one of these mature organizations. And, you know, on Tuesday, it might be that the CISO was the web developer last year um, or the IT director a couple years or an application developer or, or this or that. And so they come in with this kind of I hate to call it narrow, but in the grand scheme of what a CISO would be doing and why I don't consider myself a CISO material, you know, it, it's a narrow sliver of that. And they know how to build that and they don't really know how to build the stuff around it and a new program. They don't know which risk models to be using for their organization and to build something from scratch. And so you're in a situation where, you know, you're either forcing somebody to learn something so far outside of what they've ever done before and not necessarily give them the resources to do that. Um, or you're at the mercy of them specializing and really ratcheting down on the security within the the domain that they came from, whatever that was. And so that's been, a, for me, it's been a real struggle because, you know, I'm certainly not an expert across the board with things, but at least kind of know what I don't know um, and, you know, try to steer people towards those resources to go fill in those gaps. But it's, um, you know, it's certainly an uphill battle for the majority of organizations out there that, you know, they think, Okay, well, if we if we hire somebody who's looking at firewall logs and, and that's a that's now our security analyst um, and they can report to an IT director or CIO or something and, and they don't even have a CISO, they don't they don't they maybe have a compliance officer for whatever their re requirements are. Um, and so it's really hard to start, you know, talking to people about how to solve problems technically and controls and processes and people when they they don't even have the foundation you know, they're talking about shingles and there's like, we haven't cleared the ground to, to lay the foundation of the house yet. So that's, that's kind of my little soapbox struggle with that. Your experiences? Oh, well, I just, uh, as you were talking, one of the things I was thinking about is sometimes when I'm talking to folks, they're like, oh, you have such a non-traditional path to becoming a CISO. Like, I think it's a, it's been a great path because I've been cross training across all of these disciplines, product management, engineering, um, fraud detection, enterprise cybersecurity, policy analysis, all of those things have, have, have really helped me. And sort of one of the things that you kind of kicked off the conversation about was, what about these technologies that we might not have on-prem that we might outsource? If, there's, if there are safe, you know, we feel comfortable, risk-managed ways to push some of those things out, those become 
almost commodified components of our security program, that frees us up to do the much more interesting work of better aligning with the business. So I, I, I understand what you're describing because I've seen that too. There's a lot of folks who they kind of grow in a <clears> vertical <throat> line and then their security program is very strong where they are strong. Mm. Uh, and, and what kind of resources does the industry have to help grow our, our leaders? Um, because I don't know that individual companies would know how to do that. Yeah. I, I think that when, you, when, when I think about security leaders today, um, I actually draw a lot of parallels to, uh, to partners at a law firm, right? You might be a partner at a law firm, but you are not a contracts master in, in law, contracts law and HR law and, and you know, housing law. I mean, there's so many different aspects of law um, and securities like that today where it's impossible to actually understand at a super granular level the nuance of how all of these technologies are going to come in to just make this one amazing masterpiece. Um, and so people do index on, I have a lot of experience in, in you know, red teaming and incident response. So let me, let me focus on that for a little bit. And then let me get somebody who's maybe good enough here. Um, and the organizations that can afford that are the very mega companies with hundreds of millions of dollars of budget. And maybe they do have very, very highly technical experts in line of business or functional CISOs, but they've kind of commandeered out. But when you start to get to the mid-market SMB, even below the Fortune 700, it is very, very difficult for them to compete, not even just on budget-wise, talent-wise. I mean, over the last year, you're seeing compensations shift, people leaving a role, coming back to the old company and getting 40, 50% up on base compensation, right? Like that, that's, that's almost impossible. And then you overlay the fact that vendor software is not getting less expensive. Right, um, they're they're innovating in, in, in new ways. So you, I need this. Oh, now we got to do this. Okay, now if I'm looking at securing GCP, I need a different solution versus securing Azure versus AWS. Like it's this really, really just this growing landscape that I think security leaders have to figure out how do they step back and be a law partner and say, okay, we have the right people focused on the right areas, and I can present the broader risk context to the rest of the leadership team that literally has no hope of ever trying to, you know, ex explain and understand um, the, the, the evolving landscape. So I think that's where the agility and the evolution of the security leader is uh, um, kind of shifting towards in my mind as well. Yeah, I have a huge amount of compassion for the medium-sized business, Absolutely. both, you know, technical, IT and CISO security organizations, because in some ways they're expected to meet many, if not most, the same requirements as larger enterprises, but Without the budget, without the people, without the infrastructure, you know, you just don't have that size. Security is funny because it scales up. Like the bigger that you get, you know, you, you can you have sort of a baseline and you can make incremental improvements, but it doesn't scale down. So the requirements space sort of stays the same no matter what shape or size enterprise or company or entity you are. And so it's it it it's kind of promising that some of these tools are, there's more, there's a wider variety of tools and services available and they have different pricing schemes, you know, tools, you're probably more of an expert in this than I am, but there are, there, we're looking at tools that are charging based on data throughput, right? Um, or number of employees, some of some technologies charge that way. And so that's helpful for the mid market, but they, their requirements suite 
is not diminished, even though their budget is. It, like, I mean, there are vendors, I won't list them out, who will not sell the solution unless it's a minimum of 10,000 users, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a really interesting conversation of like, all right, so you have this entire market of people who want to buy this solution. It, yeah, but we're focused here. So, you know, we're not going to break down our strategy and do that. But you also have companies, I mean, they're Fortune 1000 companies, the entirety of their cybersecurity budget, including headcount and OPEX, is sub $3 million, right? That is insane, right? And so they're sitting there on, you know, massive aspects of revenue, really tight margins because of the business they're in. And those security teams get, you get three people, $3 million, make sure we never show up, mm-hmm. right? In, in, in this breach, and you're like, Good luck, buddy. I have no clue what to tell you. Um, hopefully you find some great partners that will give you a, a, some discounts here. Um, I, I want to argue the other side of that, though. So I'm a, please. Because, you know, again, sitting between organizations and a lot of the, the vendors, including a lot of managed services for everything from entire managed outsource networks to manage detection and risk and manage this and manage that, is I feel like I kind of applaud a vendor that understands where their where their solution is best positioned, whether it's you know size or industry or combination of size and industry. Because I don't I don't necessarily think every solution is appropriate for every size organization, and there's certainly you know a, a suite of of products that I wouldn't put with an organization that didn't have. In fact, we talked about this earlier in a panel today. Like Holy if yeah. the organization doesn't have the people to manage that appropriately, you know, controls only as good as is the implementation of it and the care and feeding that you give it. And if you don't have the people and if you, you, if they've determined and maybe they haven't, I'm just guessing, but if they've determined that, okay, what we think is on average, a, a company this size will have at least X, Y, Z, that's the bare minimum to, to make this work. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I do I, applaud I that. You, I, so I, I, I think Marcus focus is great. In the in that particular situation, it is it's more of a that's not the driver. A gate. Okay. It's a gate because they don't want to fragment their sales team, and which I totally get from hitting there. Yeah, h- hitting that. Um, the allocation it, is better best use of their resources. Yeah. It's the best use of so. their resources, but when you look about across the SMBs, right? Like, man, the, the only answer I see for SMBs is really to partner with MSSPs and you know Absolutely. those providers that can that can do things at scale. Um, and have those partnerships with, with, you know, where they ratchet up to, we've now got 10,000 people that can do this. So now can I use this, which would replace all this other less efficient solution set. Um, so I think our ecosystem probably needs a little tweaking to, to mm-hmm. kind of. There, there's so much value though in, in outsourcing things. I mean, I've, I've done a yeah. lot of like real world ROI analysis because, you know, the vendors all make up their little sheet. <laughs> there's it always works out in their I mean, favor, they're so cute. Yeah. I, I, but I'll, I'll tell you that for a couple, I did my own and, and one of them was, uh, like a, basically an outsourced SOC as a service, a, a full managed detection response, and it had different components to it. So I started this with several different organizations of different sizes, different industries, et cetera, and started kind of adding up and saying, okay, based on what you have now, here's like a three-year plan or sometimes a five-year plan. And these are the people that w- you would need in the order that you would need them and the average based on where you're located, you know, the salary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the, the scale, like you said, it scales up. It doesn't necessarily scale down. And it's just, it's an unbelievable expense just to get 24 by 7 coverage to, to have a SOC with, with just even basic junior level analyst and not even necessarily a SOC manager, not an incident response team, not somebody doing forensics, not, 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 not. All of these other things you still have to go outsource somehow. You know, the, that barrier to entry is just so high for organizations is, yeah. that you know, SMBs absolutely don't have a prayer there. 
Good stuff. Uh, so let me kind of check altimeter and we'll, I want to take the conversation in this direction. It seems like we're asking a lot of, of CISOs if we want you to be more strategic, more dynamic, more agile, be aligned with the business, understand the business, which I think are all important and agree with. At the same time, like I'm giving a talk on API security and what my talk is about is to kind of equip security people with some software language knowledge about DevOps and Agile and and uh, and cloud native and where all these APIs are coming from. So now all of a sudden as a CISO, you're, you're being asked to secure APIs. You're like, well, okay, REST is a protocol. No, it's a little more involved in that. So where I'm going with this is the landscape is getting bigger of challenges of technologies and kind of problems to include in the security. How do we deal with that? At the same time, we're trying to be more forward looking and helping the business achieve what its goals are, not just, and not be the land of no, you know, no, don't do that because it's not secure. We can't secure it. Well, w one way that, um, that I'm sort of approaching that is a lot of my security engineers are software developers. They're sort of engineers first. And uh, we do a lot of cross-training with our partner teams. So, for example, we have a really awesome SRE team and the security team cross-trains with them so that they all have sort of a similar approach to incident management and they all know each other and can coordinate if something happens. So this, this idea that, that security is exotic and mm. away from the business and um, is removed from... I work for a software company, so, so, you know, is removed from the actual guts of how the business works. We're sort of breaking down those silos a bit because in truth, I don't know if I can outsource a sock because for someone to actually respond, they might have to go into code. They might need to know, you know, which engineering, which engineer, or at least which engineering team to kind of pull onto the line and that's just something that it kind of requires being on the ground with that team and having those relationships. So it's hard for me to imagine outsourcing that. Although I, I love the idea of having, having it, <laughs> having some, some burst capacity there. Um, but that's, that's sort of how we're thinking about it and, and an approach that I've seen be successful elsewhere as well. So at this very table, last time we did these interviews, 2020, one of the things that I said was, Security people, go learn something about software architecture. You don't have to become a software expert, you know, a cloud native expert. But that's that, you know, if you don't have those skills, go acquire it, right? Right. Um, especially as we do more software automation around security infrastructure. But not saying that I was right, but I was right. So <laughs> let me let me spin this a different way. <laughs> okay, okay. I feel like we're saying, okay, it's the CISO's job or that team's job to take, you know, the business requirements and translate them and then communicate them down. I feel like that hasn't been working for us. And mm. so, again, kind of I, sitting between the CISO and the teams doing the work, a lot of times what happens is, is these architects um, and administrators don't, it's not communicated down to them. The end result of I need you to do this is communicated to them. But a lot of times why and the conversation of, of how those architects and those other individual contributors or teams aren't. Are, they're not given the opportunity to participate in it. And so I think that there are these kind of almost horizontal silos of layers where, you know, the people that, that could contribute to that conversation to some degree, and probably not everybody, but some people definitely could contribute to that conversation. And a lot of organizations are not given that opportunity. And, you know, and frankly, that's 
probably why I have a job. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it, it is a gap. And I feel like if, if the business could trickle down to a little bit closer to the feet on the street and the hands on the keyboards and they understand, then you have that many more people advocating for whatever that business requirement or suite of requirements is that can then feed back up to the CISO or, or their managers or the CTO team and, and especially through digital transformation projects and be able to say, okay, well, we understand this and we understand you told us to do this, but here's this other better way to do it or a more secure way to do it or a more efficient or efficacious way to do it. And I just feel like that, that I know there are corner cases where there's some uber amazing communication up and down, but I think that is the exception, not the rule. And I think we have to stop putting this sort of um, choke point with the CISO to be that person or that team to they're do the, that. They're the translation uh, gate. Yeah, I feel like we can do that further down. So, so here's something I, I struggle with, though, right? And, and now I, I, I have the, the luxury of having, like I said, been a recovering CISO to now building a, a, a software company. Um, and what I, what I find that's really, really fascinating, and this has held true throughout my entire career, a lot of security leaders, they might know the business, but they don't know how the business makes money, hmm. right? Or they've never actually spoken to a customer, right? So I would, so when I was at the bank, I would talk to other security leaders. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a bank, we do these things. I'm like, well, how do, how do we make money? And they wouldn't actually understand the nuances of how trades were transacted or how we actually would handle and, and convert off of currency. And, and, and like, these things are really, really important um, because arguably the other business heads do know how they make money. And so they have a different view of risk of like, hey, we got to hit this target. But what the security leaders and technologist leaders are really good at is I can secure a network, but they have to know, I think they have to have a, a deeper appreciation and understanding of why we're securing the network. Um, and as a, you know, building software now, I find myself doing things that I'm like, man, Anthony four years ago would totally kill me for doing this right now. <laughs> like there's no way I would have let this I would slide. Stop myself. Right. <laughs> but when I go back to, I would, I would totally have stopped myself, but then I would go back and be like, all right, but if I don't do this and the company's not going to grow and then we're not going to have a business to secure. Right. Um, so it's a little bit, I, I guess I have a little bit of a different view on it a bit. I, what you're saying resonates with me and it's why I tend to pick roles where I can be part of the business. I don't like, being in a situation where it's like, oh, the business needs this, the business is resistant. I'm the business, I'm part of the business. Um, we were very intentional when we were naming my role. So I'm the CISO and VP of trust. It could have also been a VP of risk, right? It's a lot about sort of product risk and um, some regulatory risk, some of the other things that we're dealing with. But I wanted it to be trust because I wanted it to be clear that we are bringing value to the business. And we are, we're, we're making the product better. We're making the business better. Uh, but I also agree with JJ. The, the why and the how are both very important. And the why, I think if, you, if we have CISOs who are good business-minded, um, such that they can kind of speak the language of their colleagues, the why kind of works itself out, but the rubber meets the road with the how. And so um, I'm, I hope that, uh, I hope that my teams are empowered, that most of the how can be decided upon and that I would only need to get involved or management only needs to get involved when there's there's a disagreement that can't be worked out by those folks who are actually our hands on keyboards. Yeah. But they have to understand the the big picture instead of the directive. And and I think that's where, uh, um, and I mean, just knowing you for a long time, I, I imagine you do a wonderful job of that. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, you know, I think that's 
where I see so many of the challenges is, so for example, when I was at a, um, this is anecdotal, but I was at a conference for, you know, very technical people in networking and wireless. And with my new book, I address, you know, risk and compliance and how to align network security configurations with that. And, you know, one of the things I shared with them is, you know, sometimes if some, if somebody's not compliant, organization's not compliant, that that's a choice. And there might be a fine and there's just a line item in the budget for that fine. And that just blows some people's mind yes. that are that are technical. Mm-hmm. And so it's that, you know, the big picture, what are we trying to do instead of the directive of do this configuration when probably the person telling them, and I'm being a little st- silly here with the specific right configuration, but they get them some narrow directive. This person doesn't understand the ramifications of that specific directive necessarily. And then the person who's doing it doesn't understand what the intent was. So intent, intent based right. strategy. Which, yeah, right. I, I remember um, at one of my previous organizations, we were talking about something and the answer that came back we were, was, well, let them sue us. We've got thousands of attorneys. <laughs> and by the time this gets anywhere, they'll probably be out of business. And it was just this like, oh, okay. Big bank takes little bank kind of conversation. <laughs> I guess that's what we're going to do. Um, and we just, fair. and we oh, just no. moved on. Right. Like, and it was a real big piece for me to be like, but the compliance, but the, but the, of like, it was like, none of it mattered. Like, let them sue us. That's fine. That's why we have a thousand plus attorneys. I worked uh, construction when I was a teenager. And one of the phrases that struck me that way was good enough for who it's for. And that was the customer decides what, what the expectations are. The business decides what it needs. Kind of same idea. I think this idea of agile CISO is an agile leader. That's really what it is. Because it's not just you being agile. It's your organization. It's so, it's giving the context, helping with the, most of my staff meetings, three-fourths of it is why. Here's what's happening in the business. This is what I know about that uh, might help inform you with what's happening. Because you're being asked to do A, B, and C. And you're like, why is A important? I, well, I'm fine with the others. So it, it's helping our organization. Because I remember um, I, you're going to Cis- uh, Cisco Live, I think to another conference and i remember back in early 2011 or so my top network engineer said i'm going to the cisco conference what should i what should i go check out and i said python he said what's that and i said python he said it's all going to be software all these boxes you're buying most of them are going to change they're not going to be what they are now because i just got done working on products (laughs) doing that and so our, our role is to help bring people into the paradigm shift that we can help with and help them be agile. So we've got the team with us. Yeah. So we're bringing in software people when we need software help and expertise. Anyway, that, that, I don't know if that's consistent with. No, I, I love that. You're talking about agility in terms of adaptation, right? Because what, what a company needs from a security leader kind of depends on the company as well as what that leader's skill set or sort of preferences are. And I also, I also smile when I hear your description because I love innovation. So for me, uh, being a, an agile CISO means being an agile leader, but also one who is probably going to end up changing how things work in order to make them work better. You have to thrive on change. I think yeah. to be a leader. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's do this. I think we're kind of getting close on our time here. How about this is our parting thought? What do you think is in in the from the CISO mindset when you come to RSA this year we're back in person and a lot of things have changed some things haven't 
What do you think that question that people are trying to answer? Doesn't have to be the same question. We all have different perspectives. What's the questions that they're trying to answer by coming to RSA? You want to start, Anthony? Um, I think that this is a little bit different. Um, RSA is different this year, particularly because they spent the last two years getting information, invites, just data stuff thrown at them. Um, and so a lot of security leaders are like, hey, is this still a good network relationship building opportunity? Um, and that's where, that's why every restaurant is slammed. Every venue is booked, coffee shops are booked out because security leaders and, and practitioners are just, they're networking and, and doing a lot of that catch up pieces here. Like, I think the time of going to a conference and saying, I know nothing about it, that topic anymore, I think we're kind of past that. Um, that's that's going to be more the exception. Um, so I think they're looking for how am I continue to build relationships, how am I networking, and is this you know is is this going to be a good use of time from that perspective? Because at any the, the reality is, any security leader can get all the information about any vendor either through their Gartner subscriptions, partners, friends, whomever it is, and vendors will Text fly their research. Yeah, exactly right. Everyone. Um, so I think I think it's about the networking pieces here. Shameless point. But anyway, yeah, I think I think in the past I might have thought that CISOs were coming to RSA to figure out what was the newest, coolest silver bullet foundry and bring a shopping list and figure out what can I buy to solve my problems. <laughs> and I think now I think that there, there there's a little bit of um, silver bullet exhaustion, maybe or we're very aware that we can keep buying tools and solutions uh, and the it doesn't necessarily help us really manage our risks. So now I think uh, CISOs are coming to say, who else has my problems? Uh, like, uh, and, of these, and, and how are they solving them? Because maybe it is a tool or a technology, or maybe it's a process, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's a way of working. And so I think that's, that's kind of what's on CISOs' minds now. They want to they wanna focus in on the problems that are really hard for them to solve. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that's why there are so many birds of a feather roundtable sessions. And I think those are awesome because they're, they're peer. I'm facilitating one this week, but that's where, you know, 20 or 30 people come together. It's not a presentation. They get to kumbaya or, or not really kumbaya, but they're going to kind of discuss, you know, with their peers what their problem is and how they've solved it or, or not solved it. Um, but I think, you know, probably 72% of the CISOs that are here are trying to figure out what zero trust is. Still, yeah, Still. I agree with that. <laughs> that low. That yes, low. <laughs> my completely unofficial survey results there on that. It's not pretty accurate. It's, it's, I think 72%. it's accurate, yeah. 72.6, but I was rounding down. Oh, good. Uh, thanks for, yeah, kind of sparing us from the yeah. 0.6. You know, what's interesting is um, I worked uh, in a research and in an industry consortium, and a lot of the engagements were not as big as RSA, but I did learn that. The higher you go in an organization, especially a bigger organization, kind of the lonelier it gets. The amount of people you can sort of really open up to and talk about your insecurities. I don't know this. What's going on? Am I, am I doing the right thing? Is my strategy right? Are we going the right direction? But you can ask that question in some ways to vendors and to colleagues. But you want to talk to people who are wrestling with similar kind of – maybe they're not wrestling with the same problems. They've already solved it or how they're, they're going about it. And the other is that the executives, the boards or of their organizations, they're asking them two questions. What's on the forefront 
that can harm us? What's on the forefront that can help us? Because I don't want to miss either. I don't want to get hit by something. I also don't want to miss the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, we lost a big opportunity to transform our business and, you know, become the next thing we need to become. So it, it is that sort of raised periscope being able to take a look and then connect. It's not just human connection. That's all nice. It's good to get together again. But it is that interpersonal conversation. How about a parting thought, Allison, if you want to kick us off with uh, sort of, if I was going to advise the Agile CISO, what would you, what would you, would you impart to them? Uh, if I was going to advise the Agile CISO, or let's just say the new CISO, I think that folks uh, come into a new gig or maybe are at their gig and they think about technology, team, and culture. And a lot of us who are in the CISO seat, we're nerds, so we focus in on the technology. But it's actually culture that is really going to be the game changer and whether you kind of win or lose at the game you're playing. I, I would say uh, get out there and actually meet your business partners like meet the actual the, the other business leaders and not just once a quarter right like find a time find a reason uh, to, to 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 listen to what they're actually working on what their expectations on are are for that quarter for for that that month um because i think there's a lot of security leaders who kind of get sucked into the tech bubble of where they just talk to the cios cto and they don't actually t ever really talk to the business and say oh you have to grow your footprint by 30% and expand retail locations to this to hit these numbers. And that means blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and so I, I would say really get out there and, 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 you know, meet those business partners in a meaningful way. Good advice. Jennifer? I think for the sake of shifting gears and not being repetitive, like, oh, I agree with both of my panelists <laughs> over here because that's boring. <laughs> Violent agreement on yeah. everything. Uh, I think there's two things, and that's that, you know, I think that the CISO shouldn't be, or any 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 professional, really, um, but especially a technical or security professional, should not be expected and expect themselves to know everything. It is fine to ask questions. It is fine to say, I don't know. It is fine to say there's a problem I don't know how to solve. Um, it's fine to ask peers. It's fine to ask, I think, anybody about those things. I know some stuff is sensitive, but for the most case, you know, having people you trust to go to for those types of things, to ask those questions and help solve the problems. Um, and then I'll also just throw out like a tool that I've recently stumbled on that I like a lot. Um, whereas if you did come from one of those kind of siloed domain areas and you feel like, you know, you have some blind spots, um, I'm really digging um, Sunil's Cyber Defense Matrix. Um, so there's a book you can get it on ebook and they're giving them away here um, as well. Um, but it's really nice because it takes kind of the, the NIST concept um, from that framework and makes it really easy and consumable to use. It talks about le like left of boom, right of boom um, and, and breaks down the, the different, the five different assets and the five different, um, you know, like detect, respond, Steps et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice. You have to, you have to, you can't just glance at it. You need to read the definitions because they're not, they're not what you would think they would be. Um, but it's a great way to kind of, I think evaluate yourself as a professional to see where you're where you tend to cluster your attention mm -hmm. um, and then to kind of fill that out a little bit make sure that you have uh, the, the people the processes and the products to address each of those rel whatever whichever of those squares are relevant to your business model and your architecture um, I think that's a great kind of easy you know like a, a two-hour exercise to get 
to get some visibility into your blind spots. I think that's cool. He, he was just here in neon green yeah, pants. Yeah, he was walking by. So, <laughs> oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah I was, I was, like, that's what I was waving at. I was oh. like, oh. <laughs> uh, I was he, he knew I was talking about him. That's yeah. subliminal. He, he planned that all the time. So you would miss. Yeah. <laughs> but neon green pants. Like, they're neon green. <laughs> by the way, new, you're a newly minted author. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and how we can get it? Um, Okay, so my, my first book I co-authored with other people. So this is my first book by myself. Um, it's Wireless Security Architecture, but it, I think I kind of alluded to earlier. It's um, It walks any networking professional or any IT professional. Um, barrier of entry is like you need like network plus level knowledge. Um, but it walks them through understanding kind of um, security mindset, risk, compliance, uh, who needs to be doing what in the organization, what to do if you don't have those people in your organization, how to make some gut instinct calls if you don't have uh, a CISO, for example. Um, and then it gets into the actual, the nitty gritty details of how the protocol specifications work, when to use what, um, and when Wi-Fi specifically, we have new security suite that's WPA3. It talks about, there, there's a lot of opportunity to make that fail miserably. So there's a lot of conversation around how to get there. Um, it's meant to have a shelf life of five years. So it's, it's broader than very specific uh, things. And then um, in the back is where I threw all of the stuff that won't that won't uh, live the life of the book. Um, so there's stuff about zero trust and uh, BYOD and remote workforce um, and quite a bit about non-Wi-Fi wireless, including private cellular, which is um, an emergent use case um, for enterprises and some other IoT and industrial automation stuff. Really smart. Build in, uh, build in some office lessons. You can have a second and a third edition. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yes. <laughs> Way to go. So my, my party thought would be go learn the business. Yeah. Spend a day in the warehouse, unpack a truck, go stand next to a teller or the teller window, go mow a lawn or whatever it is you do. Go, you know, irrigate the golf course, whatever your company is, truck roll to do install of a network at someone's home. There's nothing like being in the field and, and do it not more than just once. You know, don't just yep. do it the first week or first six months of your job. Every quarter, every once in a while, go back out and learn a different part of the job. Go sit down with the finance people and sit through their team meeting and their presentation, what they're going to take to the board or to the CEO. Learn the business because how can you secure what you don't understand? Right? That's, so, it's all so Mitch, part of it. Yeah. Instead of undercover boss, should should we have a tech strong TV series that's undercover CISO? Oh. Where the CISO goes undercover in the business and takes on a, a different role? So like a Tom Cruise kind of movie? Yeah. You know, Top Gun <laughs> Maverick-ish kind of? I like it. Yeah, that's a great movie, by the way. I think it's a great idea. I haven't seen it yet, but yes, I'll watch the movie. Oh, oh you got to see that. <laughs> it's such yeah. a good reality show. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't it though? Yeah, it yeah. would. It would. Yeah, have yep. you seen Undercover Boss? Yeah, okay. yeah, I have. There, there's some interesting episodes. <laughs> yes, I have. There's some really good ones. Well, there, there's no litmus test, but Allison, you're now a member. You're you're part hey. of the team. All right. So uh, you have to come back now. You okay. don't have a choice. It's good crew. <laughs> Anthony, could be with us. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for being with us for this special edition of CISO Talk. As you can awesome. tell, we're, we're trying to grapple ourselves with what those challenges are and help each other with ideas and experiences that we're having. We hope that's been useful to you. Definitely want you to stick around. Our next segment is going to be Tech Strong Women with uh, Charlene O'Hanlon, and she's going to be hosting some uh, very uh, special conversation about women in tech. So don't go away. Stay tuned. Same bat channel, same bat station. We'll see you in a bit. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>